Alrighty guys, welcome to the Creecast. We are the shittest Fort Adelaide podcast out there. Um, apologies, I haven't been out of recording an episode for a couple of weeks. Um, and actually, first of all, apologies for the audio quality. Um, as per the, what I was saying about not being able to record for a couple of weeks, we have uh, finally sold and settled on our home, which meant we were moving for a couple of weeks, which means my recording equipment is still in a storage container on this property that I'm, I'm staying on uh, with the parents at the moment before we make our move to the US. But uh, yes, it's um, my recording equipment is packed away at the moment. I plan on getting it out to be able to do more over the next few months, but I just haven't had a chance to get it back out yet. So I'm doing a quick AirPods little the next couple of podca- podcasts this week will be just a little bit um, tinnier, I guess, is the best way of describing the kind of sound that comes through the AirPods. But um, I appreciate you listening, and hopefully it's not too, um, you know, <laughs> uh, scratching on the uh, on the in the sound. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, yeah, we uh, straight after the Essendon game, we started our move, so that's why I didn't get a um, review of that one up or talk about that much. But that was that was good fun. I guess most people probably assume that me being poor fan, I was pretty happy with that Essendon performance. Um, and then yeah, we we moved straight into. Um, as you know, sorry, you know, we were, we were moving the week before the Essendon game and the Essendon game and you know, the last week settlement for the house was um, Friday. So we, we were out of the house completely, um, mostly by Wednesday, but then Thursday moved the last couple of things and then out completely on Friday and settlement and all that stuff happened, and uh, which was good because it meant um, going to the showdown in, immensely exhausted. Um, I'm still, it's probably the, one of the most stressful months, a couple of months really of my life, <laughs> but um particularly the last couple of weeks has been both stressful and physically, um, mentally exhausting, uh, moving out. And obviously, um, if there's people who are listening know the, the better half is actually having a knee reconstruction tomorrow. So the, the hits keep on coming. Um, so she was, she was an absolute champ, um, in the moving process, walking around on a completely busted ACL and doing what she could to help. Um, and really I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. And, um, she probably feels like she didn't do enough, but she, considering her injury, um, yeah, she's she's done a great job, and uh, we both have been able to relax this week. She's been able to put her feet up a bit to, while she awaits the surgery tomorrow down at SportsMed, um, down at and Adelaide. Um, the same the surgeon that does a lot of Port Adelaide uh, knee reconstructions. Apparently, he's done a lot of the ones that I think probably did. I think Kane Farrell's were the most recent one we've had. So um, yeah, she's in good hands, um, and uh, we're looking forward to getting that done. But yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, but uh, as anyone that keeps an eye on the Twitter feed, I do keep track of things as well as I can um, and keep keep up with things pretty well. It's just uh, I just haven't had the time to record, um, which has um, been just the story of this year, 2022, um, just finding time to record. But um, yeah, looking forward to starting to get a bit more time. I'm going to put out and start writing a bit as well because um, I've always enjoyed writing. I just haven't done it for a few years, really, um, and I want to get back into it, and especially... Um, you know, with COVID, I found the brain fog since and just the exhaustion I've had this year after COVID and everything going on. I found myself a little bit, I don't know what the word is, but I mean, people talk about brain fog. It's just I found myself frustrated with my ability to get what I'm saying, whether it's I'm talking or writing. I've been finding the struggle of finding the right words in situations which I've never had before and I've been really frustrated with it. So I feel like writing a bit more as well as continuing the podcasting might help me kind of break through that malaise that has been over my mind um, since I've had COVID and obviously just the stress of the last uh, couple of months with moving and 
and and everything and, and everything going on really um, i think maybe it's just broken my brain a little bit but uh yeah so there'll be some writings that writing dropping as well i've got working on a piece about just how i feel about robbie gray it's uh, gone through a few iterations over the last week but i'm working on that hoping to drop that tomorrow night as well as maybe a written season review as well as i'm going to do a audio review tomorrow tomorrow night as well this episode i'm just going to talk about the showdown a bit um as well as just a bit about robbie as well um, audio as well keep it to about half an hour um, and then tomorrow night, because my, uh, the better half has to stay in hospital overnight um, after the knee reconstruction, I'm going to have a bit of time on my hands, going to stay down in Adelaide just on nearby uh, to where she's getting a knee reconstruction and, um, and then I can do a bit in the hotel room. Uh, apologies if both the audio quality is a bit scratchy, but as well as my voice, as I've also been battling a bit of a cold um, over the last couple of weeks, which is awesome fun moving as it was pissing with rain half the time we were moving and I'm um, having a unload stuff in the blistering wind and rain up on top of the uh, hill here um, in the Barossa Valley where my parents are. They have a great view uh, on a clear day from their spot on the edge of the Barossa. They can actually see just the twinkling of the ocean um, down kind of from pretty much seaport Adelaide from here um, just in a just on a clear day. But uh, it's so it's right on top of it, but, which makes it wonderful with views and a nice calm day, but it also makes it quite a uh, ridiculous um, when you've got a windy, windy, blustery, rainy day, you catch, you, you don't have any protection from it. So um, it was good fun having a cold and moving with that. But um, yeah, so apologies, I'm a bit scratchy. But um, yes, after all the chaos of the first, these last couple of weeks, um was able to make it down to the showdown. Um, I worked on Saturday. Uh, so I worked until close of the business, uh, my family business here in the Barossa, at 6 p.m. on Saturday, so I basically jumped in the car and just just beelined it straight down to um, Adelaide Oval, parked on War Memorial Drive there where a lot of people park, um, and just wandered into the Oval. So I got to the game about 15 minutes um, 15 minutes in, so kind of, I was. it sucked because I wanted to kind of see how everyone lined up and I haven't had a chance to, I do plan on watching the replay, but I haven't even had a chance to do that because I've been working um, the rest of it since then and um, just having a chance to sit down and watch the replay, but I wanted to, I was wishing I could have been there to see kind of how the, um, you know, how how it was before the bounce, because uh, I guess jumping back a little bit, it was an incredibly spicy build up to this one, and um, a lot of thoughts and opinions out there about how, uh, how that was kind of received in Adelaide and, and by fans and, and uh, uh, pundits alike, really, because Port took the tact of, I mean, it started right after the Essendon game, really, when, um, you know, Chad was, Chad, Chad Corns, obviously, famously, uh, um, the name and the connection to Port Adelaide and everything is um, famous in, you know, kind of entwined in the history of kind of the historical fabric of the state, as well as, um, you know, the AFL now, but um, Chad had his words to say about his hate for the Adelaide Crows and how much they want to beat him and how unacceptable it is for Port Adelaide people to um, lose to them, and I I don't have any problem with this stuff. I just, it, it was, I found it frustrating um, how many people did have a problem with it. And I think it was entirely based on people having a problem with how we'd gone this year, which I get that. But if we're having a good year and, you know, maybe we're in top four and we're going into this showdown to entrench ourselves in the top four going into finals, if we come out with the same kind of rhetoric, people wouldn't have had a problem with it. It was purely because we're, we're frustrated at um, how Port have gone this year. I think people are just, when things like this are going on, they start looking at conspiracy theories about it, covering for all the other stuff. And this is professional modern sports. There is line, there is people do have media managers and there is media managing at clubs in sports like this. 
And there might have been, uh, uh, you know, even if there's a directive at the club, like, oh, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, build this up a little bit and we're going to, the club does not like the Adelaide Crows. So if you're a player at the club, um, you, you're going to have, you, the club is going to have a directive that, hey, we're, we're, we don't like them. Um, let's, let's get that out there a little bit and have some fun with it. So I don't mind that it's a directive and I don't, I don't think, you know, these these guys do have friends on other teams and stuff. It doesn't mean they don't like it. You know, they can they can not they can hate the club too. And and I'm sure some of these port boys like this is the other thing when they see what the crows have done and how they've talked about um you know how everything everything that's been going on um over the past you know year six you know with whether it be their feelings with um around Taylor Walker um, and the, the stuff last year or the camp stuff, they might think they might actually have the opinion that they're arrogant and entitled as well. So it was an interesting build-up, I found. It, you know, whether or not they, you know, I, I don't know. But I think it was a bit overblown. Um, the, the I don't mind people saying, oh, I don't really like that. But the amount of pearl clutching about how disgusting it is and how there's some character assassination from the old call, you know, the... Um, you know the old ladies and old old blokes that call into your sports radio shows and stuff here. They're really clutching in their pearls and how disgraceful it is and how much better it was in their day with respect and stuff. And I always sit down and think, well, back back when you were a kid was when we were still you know snatching away indigenous kids from their families. But um, you know, tell tell me more about how it was better back in your day. But anyway, um, so you know. And rivalries in sports have always had a passionate hatred to them as well. Like we look at, you know, whether it be, um, you know, Red Sox, Yankees, or you know, Celtics. Celtics Rangers has there's there's a lot of there's an extra in that as well, which I'm not going to get into because while I understand it at a, at a you know at a base level, I, don't, I certainly don't have the um, knowledge, deep knowledge of it. Um, I understand it, but I don't have knowledge of it to discuss it too much um, off the cuff. But um, you know, Liverpool, Manchester United. Um, I rem- I'm a Liverpool fan, but there's a famous quote that, you know, when Alex Ferguson came into Manchester United, um, you know, I'm going to knock Liverpool off their fucking perch. And the amount of shit talk between those teams over the years has been, you know, this stuff's just normal overseas. And I'm like, this is, we can't sit there and talk about this rivalry as the best rivalry in the country. And, oh, this is a great rivalry. And, oh, the passion of the fans, the passion of this and the passion of that. Passion, you can't have passion, but then be like, oh, but we can't say, we can't say that we don't like them. Hate's a strong word. Well, passion's a strong word too. You can't have you can't have passion without a little bit of hate. You can't have a passionate rivalry without a little bit of hate between teams. It just doesn't work. You can't actually have a truly passionate rivalry without it. And uh, it's just and you know maybe that's just my opinion. It is my opinion, and I I think I'm pretty on on with it because it's just I, I've been. I've gone. I've I've experienced sports in every country, like most of the major leagues in this world. I've experienced, or it be, you know, I've been in the trenches of the Oregon versus Washington college football rivalry. I've I've been to, you know, I've seen, you know, Yankees Red Sox, and I've been to, you know, Liverpool. I've been to Liverpool and seen understood how that works. I've been to Barcelona games, and I, I understand the passion of fans and how they feel about other clubs. And there is passionate hatred to, to these things. That doesn't mean they're going to go knocking heads on the hill, hill and stuff like that. Not, they, they they take it with that. They, they understand that there's a line about you know how you 
behave as far as violence and stuff like that goes. But they don't, they don't don't have to fucking like the other ones either. They can they can they can hate the club and not have respect for the club. That's part of the passionate hatred, I guess. And um, I I enjoyed that build up. Now it was a gamble. It was a gamble to me because if they you know talk the talk and then tuck tail on the day and not ha- not had a good performance, which it looked like could have been early. Um, then, you know, they, as I saw some Crows fans on Twitter, um, who were, some Crows fans dealt with it in a pretty pragmatic way. They said, look, they're making a rod for their own back. They better, they better back it up. And, and I agreed with that sentiment because I was a little bit, and it made me more nervous for the game, but then it made it more exciting as well. It felt like we some, somehow had something on the line. Yeah. Again, people were saying, well, maybe that's just them trying to sell tickets, but after this commentary actually came out, after the game was mostly like down to single seats available, there was very limited capacity left when some of these comments from the likes of Wines and Jonas came out. So it was actually fairly well on its way to a sellout um, before a lot of this stuff happened. So um, they didn't need too many ticket sales um, from this stuff, but it's still, you know, whatever it was, it felt like there was something really on the line when I got down there on Saturday night. And that was wonderful because... You know, it's been a shit year. It's been a shit year for the cl- uh, for the club um, as far as unfilled results go. Um, uh, for the men's side, I will say that because we've got the women's season coming up. I'll talk about that tomorrow night. Um, but it felt good to just go to the last game of the year. Yes, it's not finals. And yes, it's going to be ultimately um, after the dust settles of this result. It's still talking about what went wrong this year. But one night we could just enjoy the fucking footy and have something on the line. And have some real passion on the line too because it's a... Uh, at our inner city rival and, you know, showdown wins a showdown win, as Tom Jonas famously famously said last year um, after that pretty uh, dodgy win over them in the second showdown of last year. Um, so, you know, because we, we would have felt like absolute fucking shit if we come out of this one with a loss as well. We finished the year with a loss to the Crows, not even a showdown win in the entire year. It would have really compounded what was a shit year. but And with Robbie, of course, retiring as well. But even without that, and that's what the other thing I wanted to mention, the 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 arrogance and the entitlement of the crows to sit there and say, you know, how the how dare poor overshadow their champions' um, retirement with uh, with all this talk. It's just like anyone who knows Robbie, as far as, like I don't know Robbie personally, but all the talk about him, and he's pretty he's pretty quiet and. Um, he just lets his footy do the talking. He doesn't like the media too much. I know he, there was a couple of radio shows that said we couldn't get him on this week, the week that he's retiring, because he just didn't want to do any of that. He did his retirement press conference and then just, um, you know, got into getting stuck into the game. And Port Adelaide Socials had a really great week of putting up all sorts of highlights and tributes. So Port, as a club, was still doing everything. It was just they were doing a little bit of showdown talk as well, because it was showdown week. Like, he was retiring on showdown week. I don't think Robbie would have loved anything more, really, than... Obviously, the grand final, grand final aside, then having a spicy showdown lead up to just really, really put something on the line for his last game, and um, and then Tom Rockliffe did a piece. Um, I think it was Friday's advertiser um, or advertiser online, whatever. Um, Rockliffe had a piece out there about um, how quiet Robbie is, but um, how when he spoke before a game, you listen because it was a rare thing for him to get up and speak, and he got up and spoke before the twenty eighteen showdown. Uh, which at that point we'd lost four or five in a row, I think it was. Um, he mentioned in the article, and this is obviously the showdown that um, Robbie kicked his, you know, five and a quarter and showdown medal and, and obviously finished off with Motlop with that 20 seconds to go um, goal. Uh, but um, 
you know, Rockliffe spoke about how Robbie got up before that one and said, "We do, this result means everything to us. How he felt about the showdown, how he, how he felt about it, the Crows, which was dislike. He doesn't like them. He wants to win this game. So there was even some stuff from Robbie four years ago that we didn't know about, um, obviously, until Rockliffe put this out there. But he has that similar feeling. So this stuff is real. Like, people were trying to say, oh, it's manufactured. This stuff doesn't really exist anymore. It does. And the Crows players will be the same. Um, they would. They, they didn't speak about it. They tried to take the high road, and that worked out real well for them. But um, it's there. It's real. And, um, and yeah, I can get into I want to do some written stuff in the off-season, the men's off-season at least, uh, about kind of discussing it. I might do a few pieces, actually, just the history of the rivalry and why it means so much and why it will continue to mean so much as we go forward. Um, but, yeah, geez, the build-up was good. I've gone on a little bit longer than I expected on that, but it, it was just, it was good for the game, I think. Um, you know, to have a bit of spice there, you know, and people, you know, people want to sanitize this stuff. And, and yeah, there's stuff that happens um, on the hill and, and there's always a bit, of, a bit of action on the hill. Even if it's not a cross ball game, there is a bit. And that's unfortunate. We don't want to see the violence and all that stuff. But um, beyond that, just have a, just... Don't be so precious about it. It's a fucking sports rivalry. If you don't want to be a part of it, then don't be a sports fan. If you want to be a sports fan and you want to get excited about about rivalries and, and this stuff, then there's going to be some passion and there's going to be some hatred. That's how it is. Hatred doesn't... And hatred has many spectrums as well. Hatred isn't just a black and white term. You know, the hatred... Um, there's hatred out there for in more serious terms. And, we, you know, whether it be... The bit hatred, you know, in bigotry, bigotry hatred and stuff like that. But this is just, sports hatred is just sports hatred. I don't fucking like that team. I don't fucking like the Crows. Don't have any respect for them. That's hatred. That's fine. They win some and we and we win some is what it is. Anyway, the game. Um, shit start. Uh, I think it was one of those games and it felt like, <laughs> honestly, as a, I guess as a spectacle for a showdown, it was... Um, all, Ironically, one probably a lot of people won't think about too much. Um, I guess this is my theme for it. Is it uh, for outside of South Australia and outside of, and mean outside of Port fans even? It's one that'll be uh, fairly fairly forgotten. Um, I think pretty quickly by a lot of people because you know it was a fairly turgid, um, tense affair early. You know, both teams trying to have a crack, but um, also you know, kind of cancelling each other out a little bit. And um, and probably the Crows were really throwing everything, more or less what they had at Port in their first half. And Port were just feeling the game out. Um, you could see, especially in that second quarter, um, Port really started to get on top. We're controlling the footy through the middle um, and controlling kind of the dicta- like how the game was dictated. They just weren't quite getting the score. You know, we got a couple of goals ahead, but then the Crows got... And the Crows, when they got the ball forward to uh, Fogarty, he was, he was a problem. Um, that's certainly something to address in the off-seasons because um, Aaliyah had a really good game um, taking those kind of intercept possessions. But when it was like a... Uh, Fogarty was really having um, a good time against Jonas and co um, down there as well when he got when he got a lead on and, and a one-on-one even. So just his strength... Um, you know, so it'd be interesting to see what we're doing with the key kind of key defender, um, if there's any moves to make on that front. Um, so there, there was, but the Crows ultimately couldn't get that much control of the ball through the middle and the delivery, and therefore delivery inside their forward fifty. So that threat was kind of minimal. It was just, it was just a matter of us getting our getting our hands on it, and uh, 
and and really starting to exert that dominance that we we were threatening to show and then just the second half kicks in and just a beautiful beautiful performance and um you know the third quarter we were all over and we just didn't and it felt like i i had to go back and look at the score the next morning and realize that it's actually this fourth quarter that we really um you know put the pedal down and cook seven goals in the i think the fourth quarter so it was four goals in the third quarter seven goals in the last um for an 11 goal half to I don't know, two or three of theirs. I can't even fucking remember. Um, I did have the score up here, but I'm, I'm working on one laptop here, so I'm kind of flicking between things as I, as I talk to you wonderful people. Um, but, yeah, it was um, – there we go, timeline. Yeah, the Crows, um, yeah, three goals in the last half while we, we kicked 11. So, it, it, yeah, it blew what was a seven-point lead out to a 57-point lead by the end of it. And, really, they, they got a couple of late ones, really. It was um, – it was looking. It looked. It could have threatened to be even more if we'd probably got it kicked ahead at the end of the second quarter, and and certainly um, just in that fourth quarter, uh, third quarter, we um, you know kicked a little inaccurately. I think it was four goals six in that uh, fourth quarter. Um, third quarter, I keep mixing up quarters anyway. But seven goals two in the last quarter is a real, real. Um, real if that's going to be your last quarter of the year, um, incredible stuff. Um, it was really a game one, just in complete control of the ball. Um, obviously, hit outs. I think we got dominated. I'll have to get the number. I've got the numbers here. Fifty nine hit outs to twenty three. So we're absolutely dominated by Riley O'Brien, um, which has more or less been our year. Now that the year is done, we can see um, uh, we average twenty six hit out, twenty six and a half hit outs per game, which just isn't great. Um, Riley O'Brien at fifty nine for the game, um, and the Crows averaged forty one point three hit outs. Uh, per game for the year, so they're averaging 15 more hitouts than us per game, and it just shows that we really struggled. Um, you know, after you know, Lice having a poor start of the year and then his injury, and obviously, um, he's had some fairly decent struggles with the infections and the um, surgery site as well. So, uh, thoughts out to Scooter with that stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, that's been a problem for us. But what, what what's been really great to see is the likes of, you know, Finlayson and Dixon doing what they can in the ruck, and then Finlayson obviously playing a little bit of a ruck rover role. And our ability in the second half of the year, especially obviously with Connor Rosie, um, I'm actually trying to keep an eye on, um, try to um, keep an eye on, I'm just getting Twitter open now on my phone, keep an eye on um, the... Uh, the um australian announcement but he did get um i think he finished fifth in the coaches votes for the year so um an incredible incredible result for rosie since then and, and that's kind of what's what has saved our year um in the sense of getting some result and getting some positives out of the year rosie's ascension to me being an elite midfielder quite quickly after round five um and then obviously butters i think is coming pretty good in the second half of this year as well just to be a little bit quieter um but he had a great, great final game as well. But we had 45 clearances for the match. Um, center clearance is pretty even, 12 to 13, but we won the ball out of the stoppage a bit more. And that's kind of where we've won the ball and, and been able to get some ball in the midfield despite our inability to get the hit out. So overall for the match, we had 401 disposal to 287, which really just um, shows just how much control of the ball we had. And crucially, um, disposal efficiency, we were 71.6 for the match. The Crows were 63.1. You could really see they were just struggling uh, with um, hitting up targets, uh, moving through the middle when they got a chance to. And they just couldn't they couldn't quite get out of there, even getting out of their defensive 50 once we really started locking in. In that second half, the, they just couldn't move it. They couldn't get through the middle. They didn't have any pace and real um, good ball use. And, um, yeah, their efficiency inside 50 was absolutely shocking, 37.5. 
Um, because inside 50 is for the match, uh, if I can just find it quickly. Um, sorry, I'm a little bit sniffly. It's just a bit cold here. Um, inside 50s, I can't find it at the moment. Anyway, um, the the big one for me, though, that I really noticed, a really a strong differential in the game was 97 marks to 48. So we averaged 96.1 for the year, so we're just a touch above it, really just on our average. The Crows averaged 74.6 for the year. They only took 48. It just... They just weren't able to hit targets um, and and move the ball in a way that they could hit targets even through the middle. And they get they just didn't take that many marks for the match. Um, and marks in sub 50, 18 to eight. We really, um, really strongly um, just had a great just all around dominance in the second half. I mean, really, it's two of the most dominant halves of the year that we've had. Um, well, the last two weeks of the year, um, obviously the Essendon an absolute demolishment, and a good thing to see out of those last couple of games is really is the fact we finished games incredibly strong, which we had an ability to in some games earlier this year as well. Um, but uh, you yeah, know, we did a really good job of um, just finishing games strong um, the last, and you know, so hopefully we just got to get a few things right in um, the four quarter efforts uh, this year. Um, but uh, next year, but um, there's good signs there. It's just, you know, obviously few and far between this year because the, the difference, and that's where I'll talk about this more when I do a, a more general season review of what I liked and didn't like. Obviously, there'll be a lot, a lot I didn't like. Um, but yeah, the, the difference between our worst footy and our best footy just needs to be, you know, our best, our, our worst footy needs to be a lot closer to our best footy rather than the other way around. Because, <laughs> um, you know, the, the teams that are up at the top of the table, um, they just don't have as large a gap between their worst footy and their best footy. And their best footy is damn good, and their worst footy isn't nearly as bad as our worst footy. And that's, that's what really separates you. Because um, we can see in our best footy when we had... You've got a team like Geelong who's won 18 games this year, um, an incredibly dominant year. We were able to put eight goals to one or whatever in that quarter on the board against them. And, they, that, and that's not them just taking their foot off the pedal and trying to... They, they were really being overrun in that game of unfortunately it just happened to have been the third quarter instead of this our fourth quarter. Um but, you know, the reason they're where they are and where we are is because our worst footy is just so much worse so much worse and we just uh, have such a large gap. So um while it's great to win the showdown and um and get that kind of performance on the board, it's just, you know, the worst footy is so much so so much worse than um than a lot of these teams that are gonna be playing in September and that's just the Ask reality of it, but I'll talk about that more um, as we uh, as I talk about the season more in general. But um, really good performances. Um, for, you know what I liked about this this game was we um, um, and a great a big farewell. To obviously, um, we've seen some um, delistings and um, and free agent uh, explorations of free agency announced. And Carl Amon, um, there was questions about whether he should be playing in this game, um, and. It's dead, you know. It was a dead rubber. Pick your best side. Carl Amon is in our best side um, this year, and you can't you can't say that he didn't he didn't give leave us one to to remember. Thirty one disposals, um, kicked a nice goal um, as he's as he's got the really got the ability to, um, you know, thirty one disposals uh, just under uh, Ollie Wines at thirty five. Rosie, our, our showdown medalist, had thirty four. Um, just a, a great last performance from Carl, and we can't you know you just got to. Um, Put your hand up. The club's handled it really, really well. Um, Carl has as well. Obviously, there's been a lot of outside noise all year, especially when he got dropped that week. Um, although he ended up playing, I think, there was a late withdrawal in that one. But he was dropped um, going into that round. And, um, you know, he found some form again um, and played some good footy for us in 
and there's been nothing but the um, ultimate professional and a great player for us for eight, nine years, and uh, I wish him all the best. Uh, it, this is this is modern footy, this is modern sports, this is a sports business. It's going to happen here and there. We can't always keep them all, um, and some players, you know, we all talk about wanting to get these players back from interstate that want to come home, and sometimes we do get them. Um, sometimes it's going to happen the other way too. Carl Amon um, has a great time in Port, and I think it's probably tough for him to leave, but he ultimately... Uh, once at home and um, all the best to him but he left us with one last uh, little 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 chef's kiss, kiss kind of game from um, Carl so uh, yeah all the best to him uh, and yeah I, like I said Connor Rosie just finished off a year that he's um, really exploded onto the scene and um, haven't seen too much of the you know earlier in the year and la- you know last year as well he'd a lot of a lot of just random tweets would pop up in the timeline, like not from people I follow, but it's just because you know how Twitter does that. Like you might be interested in shit because you know footy, um, and a lot of a lot of tweets at um, you know you know about Sam Walsh and Kane Corns. I haven't seen many of those in the last couple of months. Don't know why. Actually, I do know why because Rosie's fucking playing brilliant footy and um, could be an All Australian, um, but at least he's in the All Australian forty four, obviously. So he finished off a great year. Um, really well, and um, yeah, Zach Butters with a four, fourth in the disposal of twenty six, and I think he's one that at the start of the year it was both him and Rosie we were really looking forward to take a step up. Rosie obviously took a real big step up, but Butters for me is um, in the last four to six weeks, um, or maybe you know since the turn of the year. Um, while he's been inconsistent a little bit, he started to find more of the ball and really was really starting to see the player because I know he had a couple of little injury nickels this year as well, and um, we're really starting to see the player. Uh, that he can, the the kind of level of foot uh, performance he can put into um, playing in, um, you know, playing in uh, the, the midfield as well. So, you know, when when you see a performance like this, and Travis Boak is down on twenty four disposals, and then you see uh, Dersma had a good, I think Dersma's come on good uh, this year after some struggles as well. He's um, finished off the year pretty well. Dersma with twenty disposals, Wilm Drew twenty one, Kane Farrell with twenty, and and he played him kind of playing more of a behind the ball halfback kind of quarterbacking role, um, with his elite disposal going forward is really um, crucial. Dan Houston, you know, there's, there's a lot to love about what um, you know these younger younger blokes are doing, and the Travis Boak, obviously he's going to be playing next year, but um, for him to be able to not have to rely on him as much going forward and seeing the likes of Rosie and Butters are really taking that stuff up. That's going to be really, really good. Obviously, list management decisions going forward as well. But when you see this game and how the kind of disposals were handed out and the, the ball use was um, utilised, you see a little bit of the future there and it's really promising to see. Um, other, obviously, some uh, there was a lot of great, um, you know, quieter performances in this one. But, um, like, you know, Jed McEntee with his little, little um, uh, you know, <laughs> six yard poachers kind of goal uh, for the soccer soccer fans out there kind of just kind of just you know get your foot on it and get it towards the net kind of stuff that got that goal was great um you know Lear had a great you know not just just he kind of found those found, he was let to play his game and, and you can see really see why he's an all-around defender it's just it's more about structure and our defense we couldn't quite get it this year to be able to um, maximize the abilities of Lear to be that intercept defender as much this year as we were last year but um he had a great game, obviously, and uh, and and took some. He really just cut the lines. At, you know, the amount of amount of spot. That's why the Crows didn't take many marks. <laughs> when I was talking about the stats earlier, because Elia was took a fucking half of their kicks away. 
Um, Jace Burgoyne, again, he's going to be an absolute star. Um, his just maturity and his positioning off the ball is fantastic, and he gets himself into so many positions of being able to usefully either tackle or um, get the ball and get quick handballs hand and kicks off just because of his, his footy smarts. And you can really see that he's grown up with around footy because, um, yeah, wise beyond his years. And I, I look forward to what him now with the confidence of being a regular player on the side in this latter half of this year, um, uh, going into next year with a, a preseason as being more you know in, integral in the squad now, uh, it'll be really good to see. Um, lots of lo- lots of lots of um, um, you know honourable matches. Obviously, Todd Marshall finishing off the year strong. Um, you know he's uh, you know he's four goals in his and in, in this one and 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 that last goal one to remember. I'm going to talk about Robbie and when I finish to finish this off. So don't worry, I'm getting there. Um, yeah, just a all-round strong team performance and a great way to finish off the year. Um, you know, like I said, it was a shit year. Um, not one to remember too much, but um, did I say we won by 57 points at one point earlier? It was 56. Anyway, um, that just suddenly came to mind. For some reason, I said the wrong margin. But, um, yeah, a showdown win's a showdown win. Um, and, and to win one, that one so convincingly after all the, the spice leading into it um, was really impressive. I think it, um, you know, showed that uh, Port had a, a clear, clear line in the sand this week that one, do it for Robbie, obviously, um, but two, do it for the fans. Um, obviously, there's a lot of disgruntlement in the fan base and a lot of it's legitimate. There's a lot of unanswered questions that we want to either see answered next year. Um, otherwise, obviously, some major changes will be at hand, some changes that... Many um, justifiably believe should have happened this year. It's not going to happen, and we've just got to move forward now and, and hope that, uh, you know, obviously when you see what's happening at Essendon, you can see what can happen when things go really south, and we're not anywhere close to that, so I'm thankful for that. But, um, yeah, there's still a lot of unanswered questions going into next year, and uh, we're going to need a, a pretty honest, uh, hopefully there's some pretty honest reviews and whatnot going on in the background um, as to how we can bounce back because we can bounce back. You know, Melbourne last won the premiership last year, the year before they went in the finals. They had kind of an, they had a couple of years getting close to the top, drop right back down, went back up. That's what we want to see happen. Um, and, uh, and I believe this list can do it. It's just the right decisions in the off season and maybe a little bit more. And who knows some, some backroom staff changes that uh, do the right thing. So even just backroom staff additions, because we do, we really didn't make up for the loss of a couple of guys last year. But anyway, I'm starting to, I'm starting to do some review stuff. Um, that uh, more seasonal review stuff, so I shouldn't get into that too much now. But a great, a great result to finish off the year. At the very least, um, I'm able to, I was able to, you know, come home in a good mood. And um, yeah, apart from some, <laughs> some extracurriculars on Twitter, but um, yeah, it was um, a great way to finish off and feel good about the club at the end of the year. Um, at least the men's side, obviously. Um, and uh, you know, I, I don't like that mob. Don't like them. Don't like those uh, rent-free bastards from Westlake. So it's good to get a win. Good to get a win on them. Um, it's always good. It doesn't matter where you are on the table. Um, you know these these games have that extra little something. Even if all the Crows fans on Twitter after the game wanted to do, um, um, make, you know, make make it like it's not a big deal and that we were celebrating celebrating nothing and and having a laugh about it. And you know, even though even though they celebrated that one earlier in the year like it was a grand final win, you know, we all do it. It's fine. Um, oh, they, they're more than welcome to celebrate that one the way they did, and we'll celebrate this one. And it was extra special because it was Robbie's last day. And uh, yeah, I'll take a quick break and talk about that to finish off um, in a real positive note. 
All right, Robbie. Um, man, it's... I was watching, you know, when Robbie kicked that first goal, I uh, I, I just was on... I, at that point, I didn't actually sit in... Because I went alone to the game, the better half couldn't make it. Um, and it was just absolute chaos. Seeing 50,000 in that stadium for the first time since before COVID, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, and, you know, obviously, it was just a madhouse. Um, people everywhere, and I just, I just thought, no, I'm on my own. I was just wander around and kind of just take in, you know, um, just find spots to be. And I stood on the hill for the first half, and um, yeah, just high fiving everyone. Robbie, so I was, I was an opposite pocket basically. I was right under the scoreboard, um, or right, kind of in that little area in front of the Indian food stand, net right next to the scoreboard for the people that know it, and for the people that haven't been there, um, you know, the old historic scoreboard right next to that, basically. Opposite pocket, so I had a clear view just a long distance away. Um, and, uh, yeah, just absolutely lost it when he when he kicked that one, and then he kicks another beautiful snag as well, and um, just, you can see that it is purely just his body letting him down from being, because he still has, yeah, and I guess it, that is what why people stop playing. Um, the body lets him down, but you can see, still see he has the ability to do these things. But then he, he had a snap that kind of just went towards, floated towards the goal screen. You can't see that there is just, doesn't quite have it anymore, but then he's still just, oh, fuck, I would love, fucking would love to, I think um, Alipade Carla tweeted, um, just give him a contract and put him at full forward next year. <laughs> like, fuck it, I'm here for it, I'm here for it. Because he clearly, you know, just that knee injury at Sully, you really fucked him. And um, it's sad because I think he could have, yeah, he he mentioned in some of his pre-match press that you know the knee injury years ago. Um, obviously, it was a pretty catastrophic, and he's had a lucky run with it um, since. Really, just keep managing it, but it's still the thing with injuries like that is you're actually never quite the same. Like it's it's all, you know. So um, you know he got through it, but geez, um, I don't even know what I'm really trying to say because it was just the night was. I spent so much time with my eyes on Robbie in the second half. I wandered up and went up the riverbank stand and it kind of just stood in that area where you stand in the standing room right behind um, the seats there. And uh, just, and especially that last quarter, cause you kind of in the pocket, um, that pocket again. And I was there in that area this time. So I was just, I kept, I was just watching him half the time. I found myself just watching him, watching his movement, seeing, and you know, the, and obviously it turned into party time in that last quarter and um, just Robbie charts and uh, a few, a few, hey, hey, goodbyes to the Pockets of Crows fans that left early. Um, yeah. And, uh, but ultimately it just felt like it was such a unique atmosphere to be in the ground for a game. Like to, Robbie is in the rare, rare air of being such a, beloved champion of our club but not in the sense of you know it's quite he's quite unique in the space that you know Wanganin was champion in a certain respect because of he'd had time obviously he had his achievements at Port but he had he was a AFL champion of the Brownlow medalist at Essen and he had a premiership there too that one didn't quite feel like he was completely ours obviously even though we we loved him um Treadray was an absolute star and obviously premiership captain as well so again but for Robbie I think it's the first time we've lost one as special as a player as he, of his ilk. Um, that truly represent like, and his his skill his skill level was what he could do and what he did um, post injury. It was just unlike any other, and it was, and I think it was probably the way he carried himself. He wasn't, um, you know, Treadery had a, he had his celebrations and stuff like that. And, 
and Wanganin was Brownlee medalist and all that stuff. And there was just Robbie always felt slightly underrated outside of Port Adelaide, I guess. And that's what, but yet we all knew he was genuinely one of the greatest to ever play this game. And he had a he had a footy mind that was so. He was just so insanely like he read the ball and read the game and understood the game and knew his positional ability and how he how he how he, just how his footy brain worked was just unparalleled. I remember some people were talking about how um, when his when when his ascension really happened, and he won you know the coat the. Um, yeah, he won the coaches award back in 2014 and people really, really like outside of Adelaide did start to take notice, but even then it still felt like it's always felt like they haven't quite, I think someone referred to him as um, like, he was kind of like, they, they compared him to Gary Ablett Jr. And that's exactly what it was. He's, his skill level matched to me what Gary Ablett Jr. did. Now, obviously Gary Ablett Jr. was a, a completely special um, talent and but to me I don't think that comparison is um, at all a, a stretch I think what Robbie did for us um, especially you know sticking around through the tough times and all that stuff and, and being a beacon of light as we as we uh, ascended again um, you know he was he was our little champion um, and he always has been and, and he con- will continue to be but what he could do in the field, whether it be, you know, there's all the highlights. Um, you know, a few people brought it up in the lead up to the game, and because we all talk about the showdown, the showdown medal in 2018, and a few showdown medals. Obviously, um, the showdown medal should be the Robbie Gray medal um, going forward because he's got five of them. The next best is a group, a group of players on three, and he's got five. Just unbelievable when you think about 50, 52 showdowns, the five of the five of those have had Robbie Gray be absolute best on field. And I thought he was going to tease it this week when he had the two in the first half. The two goals, if he snagged a couple more, but um, it wasn't to be. But obviously, obviously, it kind of felt good that Connor Rosie was a showdown medalist, and he kind of leading us forward in Robbie's last game, and kind of showing that the future is bright as well, can be bright as well. Obviously, um, despite a, you know what felt like a dark day, um, in the sense of Robbie retiring, um, but it's not a dark day; it's a celebration. Like um, this is one of the things about being a sports fan that's so beautiful is. We know going into when when we fall in love with a player like Robbie, um, that this time is fleeting. Um, it's, it will come to an end. It is one of those things about football and life and everything that um, everything is finite. And um, a player's career is a finite thing. And we were lucky to have Robbie for 15, 16 seasons um, of wonderful footy. I was at the game in two thousand seven when he got his Rising Star nomination. I've, I've mentioned it on Twitter last week. It's such an in, um, in the middle of June, I can't remember what round it was, but it was Warren Treadray's 200th game. Uh, Travis Boak debuted in that game, and Robbie Gray got the Rising Star nomination with his four goals. Such a random, innocuous uh, fixture in our history that has three significant um, memories attached to it. Obviously, Treaders with his 200th, and um, yeah, Boak debut, and Robbie with four goals and a Rising Star nomination. Um, and since then, he's just wowed us with... And that day was all the tricks in the bag, snaps, you know, running goals, and I think some, you know, just everything that we would grow to see Robbie's norm um, was on show that day. And we saw a sense that the the the, um, the final against Frio in 2014, like against a team that was just so dominant, uh, that Frio team um, going over there and such a hard place to win, and getting the win over there and coming back in the second half and Robbie kicking the four goals. Um, in the second half, and and then you know the showdown medals and the showdown performances, um, those clutch goals late on, um, 
you know, the one that I, obviously the Colton one's a big one, but um, he, he's had a lot of go-ahead goals in the fourth quarter. And I always remember that one against Richmond in the Friday night game last year is one that always sticks in my mind as well, because it's right in front of where we sit. And um, just a great one-on-one mark that showed, and that mark, if you go back to that Richmond game in 2021, um, his, his one-on-one marking ability against when he sometimes outsized was something that you should, something to behold as well. Um, he just had such, again, his footy brain, his an understanding of the fight of the ball and everything in the marking contest and how to how to work the opposition defender, um, even if he was undersized. Um, he'd often win in those battles. And he, he showed it a few times in games this year as well, but that's just a mark and goal that I've always gone back to as well. Um, obviously, the Carlton one, iconic celebration. Um, and, uh, yeah, the one that obviously a lot of people talk about and um, big, big props to Paddy Ryder retiring after the weekend as well. We, that Paddy Ryder tap to Robbie um, in that in that St Kilda game with 11 seconds to go, and Robbie goals 11 seconds to go. Just that again, the footy brain like that. It, when you watch it back now, you go, God, that looks so easy because he just reads Pat like he reads Paddy's tap. But it's like Paddy's tap, like you know, you watch it, and you think, why was no one else reading this? Like, because no one else, Robbie Gray, no one reads, sees the game, you know, almost like precognitively, like you know, the precogs in fucking Minority Report. He's seen it happen already because he just understands the game and understands this game so well at a level that many professionals that play the game with him, many of his peers, don't even see it anywhere close to the way Robbie does, and that's why we've so been so lucky to have him and um, and witness his career and and just be a part of it and, and witness some greatness. And I'm writing about it and I'll, you'll see a bit more of it. Um, I'll probably, it'll probably be Friday by the time I actually get it released. But um, we are so lucky to have lived in the time of Robbie Gray. Um, I think about uh, um, the stories of Achilles in the, in the Battle of Troy. And um, I think it was in the movie, maybe. Um, I can't remember if it's in the movie, but, you know, we lived in the time of Achilles and, you know, we lived in the time of Robbie Gray and, you know, Achilles ultimately, um, obviously is Achilles heel, the, the old injury, um, that not took him down. Um, he ultimately didn't get to see the fall of Troy. He was part, you know, but, uh, you know, he, he was such a part of why it happened. And, and Robbie, so much, you know, Robbie won't achieve the ultimate goal of a premiership for Port Adelaide, but so much of why Port Adelaide is in the position it is now um, is because of Robbie Gray and what he's done for us in the last 16 years. And um, he's superhuman. He's, you know, we, we know that superheroes don't exist and, and, you know, everything is just pure human. But he, he's the kind of player that makes you almost believe in superheroes and just the way he could move the ball and and it was magic to watch him and um, I'm just absolutely in awe of the bloke and um, we're just, yeah, just been so lucky to have him be a part of our lives. Um, I was, I've been at many of these games that uh, he was, you know, the the showdown, the, the showdown medal with the Motlock goal I was there and obviously his rising star and on game and uh, I just, so many times I've been at games and just looked at the better half when she's been, I'm just, she's just, did he really just do that? Like he just do, and it would just be the innocuous things. Like there was that footage of something the AFL tweeted, and it was retweeted last week as well of him like gathering a handball and kind of putting the ball around his body, um, like gathering it around his body, and then he kicks and hits Sam Gray. So I think it was Sam Gray on the lead. Um, I always remember watching that and just being like, did he? 
what just happened? Like, and you'd have to go back and watch it and replay it. And you're just like, what just happened? And the amount of times I'd look at people, like, um, you know, look at the better half or whoever I was a gang with and just go, did that really just happen? Did you just see what Robbie did? Like, the, the, just the words, did you just see what Robbie did? I've, I've said so many times in, in my life in the last 16 years. And uh, I think that's just the ultimate testament to he made the um, supernatural on the footy field feel almost normal because he just he just did it every week. And, uh, yeah, we've been blessed to live in the time of Robbie Gray. And I'm just um, – I'm incredibly sad and I'm pretty, you know, devastated it's over. But um, like anything in life uh, – I said all things in life are coming to an end at some point and, uh, you know, we've just got to look back on those memories and there's many, many highlights and many, many, many memories and just um, just embrace them and, and and for all he did for the club and, and he will continue to be a part of this club so it's not like it's over. It's just over in the playing sense. So um, a lot of memories to go back to, a lot of time spent on YouTube going forward, uh, looking up those highlights. And I've got a few of those games on DVD as well, and I'll be going back and watching a few of them. Um, and, yeah, that's just an, um, yeah, just a big toast to Robbie. I don't have a beer in hand at the moment, um, but I'll probably have one this weekend and, and toast him a little bit more as well. So, yeah, that's about it for this one. Um, I'll get a more overall season season thoughts review out tomorrow, Arvo, uh, tomorrow evening, as well as um, look at the first. AFLW game coming up as well. Um, AFLW season starts this year. Uh, Port's first season in the competition. And it's incredible. As I've implored in a few previous podcast episodes, um, really get around it. Um, this is history in the making, her story in the making, as the as the advertising is going. Um, so get around it. Um, it's uh, in Perth this weekend, so anyone um, in Perth should go. We can't go, obviously, because of the, the knee reconstruction. Those plans got scuttled. But um, if anyone needs tickets, by the way, I'll put this on Twitter, but I'll happily share the two that um, our membership comes with um, to anyone that needs, wants tickets to go. No, Obviously, no charge, just um, claim tickets and they're yours. So I'll put that out on Twitter as well, though, and first in best served on that one. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, as always. Um, Shit is Port Adelaide podcast out there. Um, <laughs> I'll explain that on another episode in the future. Um, but anyone that saw the Twitter shenanigans on after the showdown will understand that one. Um, anyway, yeah, cheers for listening as always. And uh, I'll be back with a couple more episodes uh, tomorrow. Cheers.